give people all the freedom you can. Like let hire really smart, talented people. Give them, tell them what you want them to do. You know, hit these numbers. We have to sell to these people. We got to win these games. We got to rate this yard. I don't give a shit. We got to make this look this way. I don't care what it is. Tell them what the end goal is and, and define what it looks like and then get out of their way. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk. Today, we have Jim. Jim? I don't know any dude named Jim. Keenan. Great <laughs> Keenan. There is no Jim. No. I put it in my book because it's my first book and no one knew me as well. But no, next book, it's Keenan. It's just Keenan. All right. Well, I think we should keep going. I think we should just keep rolling then. Yeah, keep Keenan. rolling. I'm good. Keenan <laughs> so, is CEO, president, and chief antagonist of a sales guy consulting and recruiting. With 20 years of sales experience, he's also a keynote speaker, Forbes contributor, and award-winning sales blogger. Keenan has been named one of the top 30 social sellers in the world and one of the top 50 most influential sales and marketing people by Top Sales World Magazine every year running since 2012. He's the author of Not Taught, What It Takes to Be Successful in the 21st Century That Nobody's Teaching You, which is your guide to being successful in today's changing sales landscape. I, I've got to tell you, Keenan, I've been really excited for this one ever since I, ever since uh, we were introduced and I met and I, I, I read the title of your book because I'm, I, it really speaks to something that I, I'm, I feel like I'm constantly saying to uh, people that I mentor. And what is that? What do you say to them? I try to get the message across that a lot of the things that they learn in school, and, and I'm, I'm speak, thinking specifically of people that I hire right out of college or interns. Um, I feel like a lot of the things that they need to be successful in the world, they're not taught in, in, uh, in college and they, you know, it's just skill sets, abilities. And since that was the, the title of your book, it was, uh, it, was, it seemed especially apropos to me in, in your book, you mentioned older industry rules that might no longer apply and new rules that set you up for success. Can you talk a bit about those rules and how they apply to field sales teams specifically? Well, I mean, there's a whole bunch of them, right? I mean, I talk about the idea of an education, uh, I talk about the idea of a degree, right? And that degrees don't matter. Some people got their panties in the wad and started running around saying, what do you mean degrees don't matter? You got to have a degree, you got to do this. And I'm like, uh, an education matters. And I said, I didn't say education didn't matter. I didn't say you could be a dumb shit. I said, degrees don't matter, right? I said, look, people need to know you know stuff. People need to know that you understand what you're doing how you learned it is really irrelevant. Degrees mattered, you know, 25, 30 years ago because there was no other way to get the information, right? If I wanted information in the 90s or the 80s, when, before the internet, when I was growing up, you went to the library or college, right? Or paid for corporate training. There was no place for me to, 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 to um, learn how to sell. There was no place for me to learn how to do engineering or but now you, you can go anywhere on the web and you can take courses from Harvard. You can take courses from MIT. You can take courses from Stanford right there online for free. Mm -hmm. Right? So you, you, you can go get the information. I don't need a degree that says I went to school that validates it. Right? So there's just one, but another one time. What do you want to fail field salespeople? Let's talk about this time versus results or experience versus expertise. Right? The old school example was time. 
punch in, punch out. How much time are you spending on the road? How much time are you spending talking to customers? How much time are you spending doing this? How much time are you spending doing that? Fuck that. I don't care about how much time you spend because what happened is it became a crutch. People started mm-hmm. saying things like, well, I worked all day on that. And I'm like, did you get it done? No, then I don't care that you worked all day on it because I don't have what I need. Mm. Right? Same thing with, with outside salespeople or field sales reps. I don't care how much time you spent on the road. I really don't. I don't care how many doctors you saw. Did you meet your scripts? Did you get the deals done? And if you didn't, then you're doing something wrong. And I don't care how much time you spent. You need to start focusing on the results. What do you need to do to get the results? And time is only part of that equation, right? Same thing with expertise first experience. We spend so much time telling how much experience you have, which is an element of time. I've been doing something for 20 years, right? So I'm great at it. I've got tons of experience. Are you really though? How much expertise did you gain in those 20 years? There were doctors and lawyers and, and LeBron James, when he came out, he had only had five years experience in the NBA, but he had a lot more expertise than some veterans who had around for 15 years, right? Mm-hmm. So stop focusing on experience as the do-all sale and focus on expertise. How much expertise do you have in your field? So those are just three examples. All right. Well, that, that's fantastic. Well, uh, say a manager sees something off with their team and, and the sales numbers. What should they look for to find the root of the problem under, under this thought process that you've laid out here? Well, I don't know. Uh, I, 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 there's not a correlation, in my opinion, in that regard, right? Um, those are all too tactical and what I call individual level. It's, mm-hmm. As a manager, I don't look at someone's quote-unquote expertise other than when I'm hiring them. After that, uh, I look at other things. So if I'm looking at an organization, I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with an organization, I want to ask, is the strategy correct, the sales strategy is the sales structure correct? Do I have the right people in the right roles and do the right processes exist to deliver uh, so that people can deliver on, on their roles? If I'm a sales manager and I'm a frontline guy, I'm spending a lot of time on the people side. I can't change the sales strategy of the corporation. I can't do that, right? I don't have that authority. Mm-hmm. I can, and nine out of 10 times, I can't change the structure. But I can mess with processes and I can mess with people. So I'm evaluating the people um, across the critical success criteria. So every job I've ever been in, every client I've ever worked with, I forced them to build a critical success criteria assessment. What are the handful of traits, hard skills and soft skills, that these that the person in this role must be great at to be successful? And then I, I make them assess or grade every person or rank, I mean, a rate every person on one scale one to 10 across those. And all of a sudden you start to see where you're weak. And if I, mm. if, I, if, I, if I had this to show you, I'd show you what happens is the way I structure it is you have all of the skills across the top, and then you have all of the reps to the left. And as you fill in one through 10, I, I average it up going top to bottom for the skill set and then left to right for the reps. So now mm-hmm. I see which reps score the highest, but I also see collectively which skill sets the team is weakest on. Yeah. So once I do this, I can say, oh, snap, I didn't realize the team is really not very good at prospecting. I'm making one up, right? Sure. So I see they only got a four. So now I know to start looking at the team as a whole across prospecting. Okay. Yeah, you know, another, uh, another tweak that I've used before on this exact same thing is, is doing what you just laid out and then looking across the chart and seeing, well, who on the team is truly excellent at, at this skill? and empowering them to be a leader in the team and teach their teammates 
how they are so great at it. So let's just say that, you know, you know, Jessica is amazing at prospecting and I, you know, the rest of the team, I feel it was not as good. I'll sit down with Jessica and figure out, Hey, what are you doing to be so good at this? What are the, what are the, the what are the technologies you're using? What are the strategies you're using? What are the tactics that you're using? Oh, well, that's fantastic. Let's, you know, in our next team meeting next week, let's, let's have you teach everybody that and then do that for each one of the skill sets. And if there's a, a gap, and just no one's good at something like, wow, no one on the team here is good at closing. Maybe, and maybe we'd have to bring someone in from the outside to teach it. Maybe I could teach it, but, but, uh, but that, that's one, that's kind of one more step I've used in the same strategy that's worked really well in the past is that empowering and kind of growth of leadership from within to, to communicate value that way. Absolutely. I mean, you, what you, once you identify the problem, the solutions are, are broad, right? You can have a, the rep that's crushing it, share it with everybody. You can bring inside help. You can build and adopt your own methodology. I mean, there's just a lot of different things you can do, but yeah, I agree. Totally. So what do you think is the best approach to coaching a sales team successfully that you've seen? Oh yeah. I got an entire methodology around this. So there's <laughs> that's, two why, elements. that's why I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. There's two elements to it. First, you have to build a coaching cadence that's consistent and repeatable. The biggest problem most organizations make is they, they rely too much on what we'll call asymmetric or ad hoc coaching, right? They just kind of do it. They see someone do something, they fly in and they give them coaching, right? Sort of like in a football game when that Tom Brady comes off the sideline, comes off the sidelines and look at that little surface and they're running the plays back, right? That's in the moment coaching, ad hoc, asymmetric, right? That's fine, but that's never as powerful as a consistent, reliable, predictable coaching cadence that says, I'm going to meet with my coach every week for this type of stuff, every six weeks on this type of stuff, every quarter on this type of stuff, and then once a year on this type of stuff, or a, or a performance review, which is not coaching. So you have to build a coaching cadence that basically breaks down at least no less than two separate coaching sessions that are, are based on short-term and long-term coaching goals. So the short one is the tactical coaching uh, selling stuff, right? You got you to gotta, you gotta coach them on overcoming objections or writing emails or, you know, whatever that shit is, tactical sales stuff. The bigger one that you do less often, maybe every six to eight weeks, is on the larger personal development stuff their personal interaction with other folks, their business acumen, their attitude, their drive, their own personal development growth, right? At bare minimum, you have to have those two. Then in order to, now that you have the cane set up, in order to coach, I, I built what I call um, uh, observe, describe, prescribe, absorb, and apply. And basically, the bottom line as a coach, the first thing you have to do is observe the behaviors you want to coach. So you have to create observable moments, whether it's call recording, going on the calls, going out with the reps, sitting and watching them. I don't give a fuck what it is, but you better figure out how you're going to observe the reps. Mm. Once you observe the reps and you have these observable moments, then you have to find time to describe what you saw back to the rep. You don't give them feedback yet. You tell them what you saw, right? Then, then after you describe what you saw, you describe the impact of what you saw. You did this, right? I watched you. I heard you say, I listened to you. And here's the impact. The customer got frustrated. The customer didn't understand. You were unable to get commitment, whatever. Here's the impact. Then you move to the prescription piece. So therefore in the future, try this. 
and you prescribe a new approach, and then you say the impact from this new approach will be the customer will be more apt to respond to you. You'll be able to get them to get this commitment, right? You again drop the commitment, I mean the, um, uh, the impact, and then you find out, are they absorbing it? You ask them, did you get this? Do you understand? You ask them to play it back with you, and then find the last pieces you have to observe again, see how well they apply it. And the cycle starts again, and it just does that over and over and over. That's the only way to coach that I know that really works well in sales. Um, this is really cool, man. What, which one of your books is, uh, describes that, that whole process that you just laid out there? None yet. I have an ebook on the salesguyu.com that has, that has the whole thing. Okay, man. I'll, I'll check that out. That's, this is really cool. Um, I don't fuck around. I know I swear <laughs> a lot, and I yell a lot, but I know my shit. Yeah. I get out there. Yes. Yeah. I, I really like, I really like what you're saying here. Um, okay. So, so how can an outside sales team maintain a strong and supportive culture, even when the reps spend most of their time on the road? Well, okay. I believe culture comes from the top. Okay. So a lot of times people say, well, we don't have a culture. Yes, you do. Cultures exist regardless. Cultures are like anything else. They are there. So the question never is, what is our culture? The question should be, what culture have we defined? So if you haven't set out and defined an actual culture that you continually articulate to, new, to the newbies, that's written down and shared with people regularly, that, is, that, um, that you manage the behaviors to, because culture is really just a set of behaviors, mm -hmm. right? Let's keep it real. Really, a culture is a set of behaviors and the desired behaviors that we think are important to being successful, right? So the first thing is you have to actually craft the, the culture for your organization and you have to give it to the organization and you have to tell them this is what the culture is and this is what we expect of you. Then from there, you have to manage to those behaviors on a regular basis. And when someone deviates from those behaviors, they have a very short runway. Fix it or get out. So there's a four by four quadrant matrix that I like to use, right? And one axis is behaviors and I, up and down. What's that? The Y axis? Up and down? I always screw that up. I screw that up too. Yeah, I think that's the Y and the bottom's the X. Okay, so, yeah, so that's Y axis right. is if Y axis is behaviors, X axis axis is results. Mm -hmm. Okay, I I challenge my customers and clients every quarter or half a year to put every person in their organization into this box, which means in the top right they're demonstrating the desired behaviors, they're meeting results. Mm -hmm. We love those people. Give them stars. They're rock stars. The other ones are the people who are making the results but not demonstrating the behaviors, those mm -hmm. are your Ter Terrell Owens type of people, right? They're crushing it, but, or they're, um, what's his name with the uh, New York Giants, um, threw the ball, best uh, <laughs> receiver in football. I can't, blonde hair on the top. Um, oh, my God. Top, you don't follow football, do you? No. <laughs> his name will come to me in a second. I can't believe I'm forgetting him. Best, best wide receiver. In Anyways, these are people who, Score lots of touchdowns, get lots of yards, but they're pains in the ass in the team. Mm, right? Okay. Like, like the New England Patriots, no matter how good you are, they would never take those people because they just don't uh, exhibit the behaviors they want. So you have to ask yourself, if you're trying to preserve a culture, how long are you going to let someone stay in the team who's at 120, 140, 200% of quota, who's just a complete douchebag, right? Mm -hmm. That shows up to the meetings late, that doesn't show up to the company events, that doesn't work with the other team, that doesn't get his expense reports in a time. Whatever your culture is, whatever the desired behavior, how long do you let that person stay? I argue if you let them stay more than 60 days without correcting it, you don't have a culture because you've just proven what the culture actually is, results at all costs. 
Right, right. And then the top left corner is behaviors, no results. They're doing everything right. Like all the behaviors are there. They're just not seeing the results. Invest in those people. Give them a little more runway. I like to give them like 180 days, depending on the, on the organization. I like to give them between 90 and 180 days because they're doing the right things. They're, they're, even though they're not making the results, they're motivating the team. They're reinforcing what's important. We love those people, right? Mm -hmm. We just got to move them into the results section. If we can't find another place in the organization because they're the type of people we want. And finally, in the bottom left, they're not demonstrating the behavior. They're not demonstrating the results. If they're not out in 30 days, you got, a, you got an HR problem. So that's how you do it. Define the culture and then manage to it. Okay. Well, there, that's, uh, that is a fantastic framework as well, I'll tell you. I got you, baby. <laughs> I got you. If you could curate your own ideal sales environment, what would it be like? Uh, tell me about the culture that you would create. Uh, yeah. What are the ideal – on that framework that you just laid out, what are the ideal behaviors that you think are the most important to create the culture that you're looking for? Yeah, I've, I've actually done this several times. So it'd be interesting uh, what people say. So one is, it is um, complete flexibility, right? I want people to have the flexibility to make their own decisions, to be their own bosses, to create their own ideas, to create their own processes. I want free thinkers. Plus, I, even though I come up with all this shit, I don't have time to structure your job for you. I'm hiring you because you're smart as fuck, you're good at what you do, and I want to let you loose to the world, mm -hmm. right? So... I don't want to babysit, number one. So complete flexibility. The other one is ruthless accountability. When you screw up, when you don't make something happen, if you're not getting your results, if something's gone wrong, I don't want to hear that it was someone else's fault. If I give you this much flexibility, then it's only your fault, right? I didn't tell you how to do it. You chose to do it that way. I didn't tell you when to go to work. You chose to go to work at that time. So complete, um, I mean, ruthless accountability, you have to own it. Then from there, it's absolute, utter openness and honesty. I want people who just, what I call um, complete reality. I want people telling me how it is. We're going to say, oh, this is a problem. Let's go fix it. Tell me what the problem is. Tell me why it doesn't work. Tell me why you're unhappy. Tell me what happened. Tell me our product sucks. Tell me we got a shitty product. Like, I want people speaking the truth and full truth in communication. Another one is fun. I want my sales organizations to have a blast. We, I want us to laugh. I want us to joke. So we're going to take breaks in the middle of the day. I don't care if we take a two-hour lunch on a Tuesday. We're having a good time. Like, I want us having a good time, having fun. The, the, the other one is intelligence and self-development. If I have a, an ism, like a racism or sexism or, or whatever, my ism is anti-intellectualism. That's hmm. a fucking choice. And if you choose to be an idiot, I can't help you. If you choose not to read, if you choose not to be intellectually curious, if you choose not to have good, solid, um, um, uh, critical thinking skills, I got no time for you. And I'll, isn't that shit all day? There's no law that says I can't not hire idiots, right? <laughs> that is not a protected class. That is not a protected <laughs> class. But it, there's a lot of idiots out there. Thank God it's, you know, I mean, we may get to that point someday. There's a lot of stupid people out there. Stupid by choice most of the time. So I really push a culture of, of intellectualism into the organizations. So one of the things we have at my company is a, uh, a book uh, stipend. Every month is 35 bucks per employee to go buy a book or two. If you can get a 35 bucks a week to buy books, right? So that's just some of the stuff. I mean, that we do and that I, that I do for sales organizations and people get it. They get it. Very cool. Very, very cool. I guess thinking about the future, what changes do you think outside salespeople are most likely to be blindsided by in the next 10 years? 
I have never been good at predictions. Um, <laughs> They're tough, man. They're tough. They are. And, and I, I, okay, I think, the, I think the only thing an outside salesperson is going to be blindsided by is anybody who thinks there's still going to be an outside sales position soon. Interesting. That's well. That's 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 a real position. That's a real. Uh, that's a real statement. Why, so why do you think? Uh, why do you think outside sales positions are going away? Look what we're doing right now. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 value in me sitting across from you and physically being able to touch you is being diminished exponentially. Mm-hmm. It is, and and I I can't prove this, but I'd be willing to bet if someone did the research that you will see that outside sales reps in the industries they're in skew very heavily to older people, older professions, and in many cases, older men. So no matter what it is, as younger people move up and start moving into these these roles, they're gonna be perfectly fine having a call. The dentist is gonna be perfectly fine hitting Zoom and getting on a call with you for 15, 20 minutes, a half hour to walk through their stuff, answer their questions, show you their stuff, and the technology is going to get better, so you're going to be able to see it, or I'll ship you a, uh, uh, what do you call it? I'll ship you, if it's something physical, I'll, sh- I'll ship you a copy or whatever, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A sample, and you'll have it in your hand, and we'll do it this way. Mm-hmm. It, 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 and society's leaning that way anyways. The dentist, one dentist at a time, doctor at a time, manufacturing person at a time, whoever does all of this, the buying for Walmart, they're getting more and more comfortable with doing things on video. Mm-hmm. They're going to start to realize I can be more productive if I don't have to sit across from these, all these people. I can get three more meetings in in a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think anybody thinks going to be outside sales positions, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road is going to be blindsided. Very interesting. I, uh, I've found, so I, I actually disagree. I think that. You have to. Uh, I, built around it. <laughs> yeah. I, so so uh, I, I don't think it's going away. I think that in certain instances it will but i think in certain industries and in certain sectors it will diminish and be replaced by inside sales software the the you know the industry that i'm in obviously is is a great example of that i think most software will be uh, will will be sold you know online as software has become cheaper and cheaper and the model has gone from big upfront purchases to longer term monthly payments and and, and smaller smaller payments um, that is sold over the phone. So it doesn't make sense to meet someone in person, but for higher value, longer term relationships, um, meaning if the lifetime value of the relationship is worth more than 25 grand or something, I think it's often worth having someone come out in person. It's it pay the, the greater sales that you get from that one-on-one personal touch. I think pay, the, in a competitive world, it, it becomes worthwhile to have that one-on-one personal touch if it's worth enough money. And the question is just, is it worth paying someone, a, a field salesperson, does it make our company more, more successful to send that person out into the field? And we haven't seen, you know, and I've been in, in the outside sales industry for a long time, obviously, the, uh, we haven't seen a diminishment in, in the vast majority of fields, the vast majority of industries of, we haven't seen a trend of they're going down. In fact, we're seeing, most of our customers are expanding their field sales teams because there's still, it's a very profitable way to acquire business. The cost of sales is lower than if you try to do, you know, pay someone to pay someone less and have them sit in a sit and do it all over the phone or over, over a computer. 
you're, you're getting less sales than if you pay for someone to go out into the field and, and actually, uh, sure, is it a waste of time to drive around? Yes. But is it, uh, or fly around in the worst case? But yes, but that's still how a lot of business is done. Um, especially in other countries too. In, uh, in Europe and Asia, outside sales is the only way. I mean, in, J in Japan, they won't do business with you unless you've gotten pretty drunk with them at some point. So yeah, yes. face to face. Yes. <laughs> yes, there are some cultural exceptions. No question. But look, here's the deal, right? First, I think we always have to ask us, what do we mean by go away, right? There are still door-to-door -door salesmen. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so nothing really goes completely away. So when I right. say you think we'll still have outside salespeople, I'm talking in the main, in the majority, with not a small sliver of people, right? Mm -hmm. We still have companies that make buggy whips, right? There still <laughs> are horse and carriage manufacturers, right? Mm -hmm. So, but so that doesn't mean that when in 1905, in the equivalent of this, someone says, you know, what do you predict? And someone says there'll be no more horse and buggy carriers. They were wrong. They were absolutely right, right? Right, right. right. It, 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 so so that's, this is the context of what I'm speaking. And I think, look, I could be wrong, but the reason I say it is I agree with you that people like the face-to-face. -face. They like the interaction. Where I'm going with this is, is how we define it, right? When there was for sure somebody who said that door-to-door -door salesmen are going to be dead soon. Again, there's still of them, but front-end person, they're dead because of the phone. And someone said, they're going to want that personal interaction. They're going to want that touch. Well, when you grew up and there was always a phone in front of you, that's personal interaction. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Like you didn't see it as not being personal. So when you have more and more people move through the workforce and you have more and more people like my daughters who FaceTime their friends and that's rather than texting, hey, let's FaceTime instead of text, that's their personal interaction. When we were young, we're on the phone. It's like, hey, let's go meet, mm -hmm. right? That was the person. Now it's FaceTime. Keenan, don't date us. Don't date us. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> my face dates me already. Yes. So I, that's why I think, like, again, do I think it's going to be completely eradicated? No, everything sticks around. Everything has its place. But I think it will be reduced to very specific secular organiz uh, uh, industries for whatever particular reason. In the, in the main, mm -hmm. it'll, it'll be on. Now, 10 years, maybe that's too early. But, yeah, I don't think there'll be outside sales. For my kids my age selling, that's for damn sure. So what do you mean when you say in your book, it's okay, it's not okay to be anonymous? And, and how does that relate to outside salespeople? Look, everything we do now goes through Google. 60 Minutes just did a cool thing the other day uh, about Google. And there, someone's advocating they should be broken up. But hold side mark. Everything we do through is Google. We want information before we act, right? And we're in the transition period. Look, there are still a lot of old people who don't get it or don't rely on it as much or, or still make a comfortable meeting someone for the first time, et cetera. But generally speaking, we do, we find, hire, build, connect, et cetera, with people online or products online through a Google search or through some type of engagement, right? Mm -hmm. If I go to Google you or go to social media and can't find anything about you, my first reaction is negative. What's wrong here? Right. That's What's true. wrong with this person? Now, right now, the bar is pretty low because it's still new. But as more and more people create content, as more and more people rely online, as more and more um, organizations demand more information about you, if you're anonymous, if no one knows you online, if no one, you can't find anything on me, first their action is there's something wrong here. And they're out. Mm -hmm. They're out. So if, if, if that's where we're headed and we're going there faster and faster – Flip it and get ahead of the curve, right? 
Why am I talking to you? Because you found me online with all due respect. I didn't know who you were. You found my stuff. You liked my stuff. You reached out. I said, I'd be on your podcast. That's helping you. That's helping me. More people know who we are. That's could be people buying books. That could be people. Um, uh, this does really well. People say you can listen to Keenan. Keenan, they come to listen to me. Then they find Badger Maps and they, they end up buying your product or service, right? Someone thinks you're badass and says, hey, forget Badger Maps. Come over here and run this. It creates opportunity. Absolutely. So how, how do you think outside salespeople should change their behavior to better prepare themselves for these inevitable changes in the future? How should they not be anonymous? They start, need to start leveraging social media. They need, to not, they need to start creating content. They need to stop participating in the social world, uh, the social digital world where they're buyers and uh, uh, manufacturers and every people in the space mm-hmm. are playing and start getting to be known for being a badass salesperson in that space. Like if I sold, give me, give me anything. Let's just have fun with this. Give me any type of outside sales product or position. Um, how about uh, tooth implants for dentistry? Okay, beautiful. If I was a tooth implant for dentistry salesperson, I'm assuming I'm selling the, por- the porcelain tooth. I'm mm-hmm. assuming I'm selling the screws, everything that goes into that. Yeah. I, assume I understand how the teeth are, how the whole procedure goes. I assume I understand how to avoid um, infection. I assume I understand the artistry of it and how to make it look like it's real, not fake. Notice what I'm, by the way, this is critical thinking, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to go, I'm going to, you know, make myself look like a complete asshole, but seven out of 10 people could not do what I just did. That's They'd right. Be unable to take a, a field they know nothing fucking about. Stop mm-hmm. and think for a second. Just slow down and think, what does this entail? And rattle that shit off right away. Well, I've always thought that that's one of the key reasons, one of the key drivers of success for failed salespeople in general is that they can jump. They, they A lot of the times they're really good ones have the ability to understand someone's business and jump right in to, to connect with them, yes. understand what, uh, not only the business side, but also their industry and, and have a discussion about their company. And, and, and that's because if you can't do that, you're probably not creating a lot of value for in, in the interaction. And then, then you're just a, you're an information source about your, your product rather yes. than mapping it to, um, to their actual problems and their actual situation. And, yes. and so you see that a lot in the, in the, in the best field salespeople is the ability to, they, they understand what the margins of their customer look like. They understand all the, all the intricacies of their business, yes. the drivers, what they care about. Yes. And then they map their product to it. And, yes. and it's using the exact skill that you just, that you just displayed. Yes. So take what you described, right? And take the stuff I just described, match it together, and they should start writing about it. Mm-hmm. on LinkedIn, create a blog about it, uh, their own personal blog. They should use, um, uh, uh, use video on LinkedIn. I'd probably use, depending, LinkedIn, Twitter, or uh, your own personal blog, but understanding it's almost all business, I'd probably drive right through LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And I would start creating content on a regular basis, right? And use that content to connect with people, right? And as you write a blog post about the importance of the artistry um, of making teeth look real, right? Now, how you do that's getting beyond me, but, or the importance of um, avoiding infection or how certain screw things do something. The more you talk and teach your audience around the things you sell, they're going to find you. Yeah. They're going to find you. And then you're going to have credibility. And once you have credibility and awareness or reach, done, game over. You're top of your, you're top of your field. 
Fantastic advice. And Keenan, you're considered to be an expert in modern team collaboration. What's your best advice that you would like to give our listeners who in general are field salespeople or managers of field sales teams? Give people all the freedom you can. Like let hire really smart, talented people. Give them, tell them what you want them to do. We have to you know, hit these numbers. We have to sell to these people. We got to win these games. We got to rake this yard. I don't give a shit. We got to make this look this way. I don't care what it is. Tell them what the end goal is and, and define what it looks like. And then get out of their way. Oh, and then give them the culture, the expected behaviors of how you do it, right? And then get out of their way and watch. Get out of their way and watch. And look for opportunities to improve, strengthen, encourage feedback, and let it do its thing, right? That's, that's how I best try to do it. I let go as best I can. Awesome, awesome advice. Well, I'm going to try to summarize um, just for everybody that's uh, not been taking notes, but is driving around in their cars and stuff while they're watching this. I'm going to try to summarize all the things that you've said um, in, in a minute or so. So one of Keenan's takeaways from his book is that degrees don't matter as long as you educate yourself and have the expertise you need to succeed in your role. Another key piece is to stop focusing on time and start focusing on results. Also, as a manager, you need to focus on the people and processes. Evaluate your reps across the critical success criteria, meaning the hard and soft skills that they need to be successful. And then coach them accordingly based on where they need improvement. To coach a modern sales team, you need to first set up a consistent and repeatable coaching cadence. Second, observe the behaviors you want to coach. Then describe the impact of what you saw, such as the reaction and the response to the prospect. After that, prescribe a new approach and make sure your reps absorb and internalize them. Finally, see how well they apply the new approaches and measure the impacts. And then that cycle repeats. We also talked about culture. It's important to define your culture, write it down, and share it with people regularly throughout the organization. Then you need to manage accordingly to those desired behaviors and reward the people who strengthen and support your culture. Some of the most important values according to Keenan are complete flexibility, accountability, honesty, fun, and intellectual curiosity. As a final advice, the key to collaboration and team success is hiring smart and talented people, then give them a framework, which is the culture and most importantly, the freedom to execute on their own. Today, we want information before we act. We engage with brands, products, and people online. And if you're anonymous and miss the present on, and, and if, you're not, if you're anonymous and not present actively on the internet, you're, you're not being considered and you miss out on all the opportunities. Get ahead by putting yourself out there, whether that's creating the content, being active on LinkedIn, and connecting with people through that. You increase your credibility, awareness, and your reach. Uh, Ken, there's been so much fantastic advice here. Um, you know, we'll, uh, I, I, we'll put links to your stuff in the, in the comments section of, uh, of all the different podcast platforms that we're on here. Where can listeners reach, where can listeners read more about your work and how do they reach out to you? So the two best, look, I'm all over the place. If you run a search under Keenan, I'm on the first page, I think like number five. I'm trying to get to number one. That one's a tough one. A lot of big names, <laughs> Keenan, but I'm getting close. Uh, if you do Jim Keenan, which I yelled at you earlier, I'm the whole first page. You can't miss me. <laughs> I know, less, less famous ones there. 
No uh, one's ever be, no one's ever gonna forget that you're Jim Keenan now. That's that's the best part. Anyone that listens to this is like, oh yeah, the one with Jim Keenan. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, because he got mad that that he called me Jim Keenan instead of Keenan. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, so they, they, so anything there, a salesguy.com. You can read all about us. We have a th- at Sales Guy U, tons of downloadable content that talks a lot about this, like the coaching one you wanted, a salesguyu.com, the coaching one's there. Mm-hmm. And then on LinkedIn, I do video two a week, go off. They're highly popular. Lots of great discussion. And I'm Keenan Dot on LinkedIn. Keenan Dot? Yes, because you have to have something in the second field. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> they, they really don't want you to just have that one name, right? No, they do not. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we'll put all those links in, in the comment section and everything. Um, Keenan, this has been a really engaging conversation. This has been fantastic. I feel like we've covered a lot of important concepts, and I really appreciate you taking the time to join us here and, uh, and give us your wisdom. My pleasure, bro. It was fun. It was good work. This is great. All right. Have a great one, man. All right, peace.